young man who is trying too late to assist Betty with her chair is Bob. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Monday, November 27th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on the show, Kelly Conaboy explores whether soup is a food or a drink. And Brian Josephs wonders why Apple stores are almost all located in majority white zip codes. Here's the dispatch. Culture. Soup. Is it a beverage? Is it a food? Or is it both? Kelly Conaboy looked into this question for the outline. Hi, Kelly. Hey, hello. When you started to look into this story about whether soup is a food or a beverage, did you have any preconceived ideas? Were you leaning one way or the other? Yeah, I um, was pretty sure that it was a food. I had never really considered that it would be a beverage. I never really thought of it as any other way than that it was a food. How does one go about reporting a story like this? Uh, <laughs> I, I was just trying to come up. I really wanted to find a definitive answer, which I figured out that I, I couldn't really do. So first I just Googled it. Always a good place to start. And <laughs> found that, that a lot of people were asking it on like Yahoo Answers and Reddit and a lot of the comments on those questions were very opinionated. Most of them said that it was a food, but not, none of them really had any sort of evidence. So that was just more Googling until I found this, this study that was written about in The Atlantic about sort of blending your food together keeps you more full um, than just eating it separately, which I thought might prove that... <laughs> that something like a broth could be thought of as a beverage, whereas something thicker could be thought of as a food. But then that there was sort of a roadblock there when my friend who wrote the essay in The Atlantic told me that, no, it's not really just about the viscosity or like the density of the fluid. It's about the calories in it that cause it to digest more slowly. So that didn't really tell us anything uh, definitive. Back to square one. Right. So from there, I spoke to a professor of uh, nutrition and food studies at NYU, this woman, Amy Bentley. And she sort of explained that when she talks about it in class, she explains it as like sort of a continuum where on one side there's like maple water or something like that. And on the other side, there's denser whatever. And it moves from a beverage to a food that way. There's the continuum, but then also that things on that continuum can be thought of as beverages or food, depending on how they're framed, like if they're in a bowl or if they're in a mug and how they're marketed. And she pointed out that bone broth was this way that like you can, like it's, it's nutrient dense in the way that a food would be, but that it's marketed as a drink. So then I talked to founders of these two bone broth hotspots in New York, Springbone and Brodo, and they both, well, <laughs> Springbone said that they consider it a beverage. Brodo said they consider it a sort of middle ground. Have you tried either of those places? I have not. I have not either. <laughs> I wonder if maybe my opinion would change. I 
like you, assumed that soup was a food, but I have also never had bone broth from a coffee cup walking around New York City. Right. I haven't either. I I have to imagine it would feel like you were just sipping on soup as a food. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Um, But maybe not. Maybe if it's in like a coffee cup and it's like a snow day. It's in one hand. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe that would change my mind. It seems like really hard to say that like a very chunky soup is a beverage. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of, nobody really said anything to, to nobody who I talked to at least said anything to really disagree with that. It was more like that's on the food end of the soup spectrum. And then something like a tomato soup could maybe be a beverage. New from Campbell. There are a bunch of old Campbell's ads where they're, they try to market tomato soup as a beverage. Fancy ladies sipping tomato soup out of cups at like an afternoon tea or whatever. Hmm. So I, I reached out to Campbell's asking if they had an official position on whether soup is a food or a beverage because they have that famous slogan, soup is good food. But then they also have these ads portraying it as a drink. And they sent, they're like, we're going to have some fun with the response, but here's what we say. <laughs> and it's this crazy breakfast club response where they say, uh, we accept the fact that you want to relegate soup into one category, food or beverage, but we think it's crazy to tell you what we think soup is. You see soup how you want to see it, as a nourishing meal at home or a mobile snack on the go. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. But we found soup is, and then they have like a list of things they think soup is, like nurturing filling, etc. Is Campbell's the authority here? Do we do we have to accept what Campbell says? I I don't think we have to accept what Campbell says. Um they are definitely the the most prominent or at least the company that comes to my mind when I think of soup. Um I, I think everyone is free to have their own opinion about what soup is. I wouldn't want to limit anyone's culinary uh uh thought on <laughs> soup <laughs> but but yeah I, I don't think Campbell's has the final say in what soup is I think I think it's it's whatever is in your heart is what soup is I just want the truth Kelly <laughs> me too but I I feel like the truth isn't out there <laughs> I think soup is just soup well I feel like we made some progress here I hope we did Kelly Conaboy is a writer in New York. The future. There are 270 Apple stores in the United States, and 251 of them are located in majority white zip codes. Writer Brian Josephs gathered the numbers to try to understand why that is. Brian, how many Apple stores are there in the U.S.? There are 270 Apple stores with new ones opening in um, Illinois and San Francisco. And you actually went through and looked at where all of these Apple stores are and looked at the demographics of the neighborhood that they're located in. 
So, like, the genesis of the piece was that the fact that I grew up in um, Flatbush, which is, like, a bit of a ways away from more justified areas of Greensburg. And one thing I noticed, um, like, growing up in Flatbush, that you don't really have a lot of the luxury stuff that the other nice neighborhood had. So, like, you see Apple stores and stuff like that. None of that in um, Flatbush. So, sort of the genesis of the piece is where that it was um, nationwide. And it turns out it was. So, only 2051 stores are in majority white zip codes. Majority white zip codes are zip codes that um, where white people take up more than fifty percent of the population of a particular area. How many Apple stores are located in neighborhoods that are not majority white? There are only nineteen um, nationwide. So you mentioned there is an Apple store in Brooklyn. It's just in the neighborhood of Williamsburg. Mm-mm. And in fact, you found that there's an Apple store in almost every borough except one. Uh, turns out there's only an Apple store in everywhere except the Bronx, which is um, known as the lowest income neighborhood in um, New York. Have to go um, north out of the borough or like all the way down to um, Upper East Side, which is about a 20 or 30 minute subway ride from the Bronx. So why does this matter? I mean, you can buy an iPhone at Apple.com. You can buy pretty much anything that you could buy in the store, at least product-wise, online. So why do you think it matters that Apple is um, basically segregating its stores? Well, for one, Apple tells itself like a company that uh, focuses on diversity. So it's like if you don't like extend that focus on the ground level, it's like what really message you're really sending in um, the community. It reinforces the idea that high-end stuff isn't is it for um, people that are not white. Right. I was struck by one of the experts you talked to who was like, it doesn't really matter. It's just about the positioning of the brand. And it was like, well, yeah, how is the brand positioning itself? It's positioning itself as being for a certain type of customer. And, you know, maybe they didn't intend it to shake out along racial lines. They looked at some other factors like um, – income and college education, stuff like that. But the effect ended up being that it it shook out along racial lines. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, I spoke to one expert of Derek Howe, who's an associate professor at American University, as well as the author of Race, Class, and Politics in, Cap- in the Capuchino City. He made a point, actually, that it's not necessarily about tackling the companies like Apple, but it speaks to more of a wider issue where um, income is not really distributed equally throughout our major lines. You spoke to the borough president in the Bronx, and it seems like he had thought about this a lot before. Yeah, borough president Ruben Diaz Jr. The Bronx has this rep of being like the wildest borough in terms of crime rate, poverty, and stuff like that. And he also reasoned that there's 1.5 million people in the borough, so and there's a lot of Apple users. So he thought there was like no reason there should be an Apple store in um, the northernmost borough. And he wrote a letter to Tim Cook. A letter to Tim Cook that was not responded to, unfortunately. He noted that um, few brands are recognized and admired as Apple. It's saying a signal that Bronx is like a business-ready borough. But fortunately, he has a recent response from this Apple CEO. Brian, thank you so much. Gotcha. You too, you too. Take care. Brian Josephs is a writer in New York. That's it for The Dispatch. Thank you for listening. Remember, we're here every Monday through Thursday, so please subscribe to hear more. I'm Adrian Jeffries. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>